Exodus chapter 10. We'll start reading there in about verse 20, verse 21. Exodus 10, 21. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwelling. Now we are going through the plagues of Egypt. The last one you may have heard if you are here on Sunday was the frogs, and we've now skipped ahead to the darkness, and there are several in between. Eight plagues so far have gone by in our study. Blood, the Nile being turned to blood. Frogs, gnats, flies, pestilence, that is the livestock dying off of Egypt. Boils on people, hail, huge hailstones, burning hailstones, and locusts. And now finally we get to the ninth plague. And with each plague, we've seen a devastated deity, an eradicated idol, a gutted god. For you see, God has gone head to head with all of the gods of Egypt, and every single one of these plagues targets a god or several gods of the land of Egypt. And if you read through them, it's amazing how God just begins picking them off one at a time, taking them out, until the gods of Egypt, these high powers, are literally wiped out. And even the pagan priests of Egypt come to Pharaoh and they say, Enough already! We can't track this! We can't go up against this, God! This is the finger of God! We can't handle this! And after eight traumatic plagues, darkness falls. But please don't underestimate the heaviness of this plague because as we have seen, each ensuing plague is worse than the plague before it. It is a progressive, a progressive work of God through these plagues. Each one gets more intense, more difficult, more challenging. You might think, oh, darkness, well, it just the lights just go out for three days. Well, that's kind of peaceful. Get an extra nap in there. How bad could it really be? Folks, God's in a darkness so deep, so penetrating, it literally paralyzed Egypt. We're going to look at that darkness this morning, but before we do, let's go to our Father. God, I pray that you will open our eyes in the darkness. Lord, as we study through Scripture, we look in the Bible, we see oftentimes, Father, how there is such a contrast in language. A contrast between good and evil, between light and dark. Between the things that are of you and the things that are not. And I pray that you would enlighten us this morning, Lord. Because we do live in dark times. We each in our own lives face darkness and times difficult to understand. As we try to figure out how to live, may we run to your light, Father. Be surrounded by your light and seek out illumination. Father, teach us this morning. Keep us strapped steadfastly to your word and touch us in the way that you see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in verse 21 again, let's read that. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Some believe that this darkness was actually a massive sandstorm. In fact, it's always interesting to me to read Bible commentators and how they try to figure things out in a natural way. 
And there are several who have gone through the plagues and said one plague just kind of leads to the other. And actually the plague of locusts before the darkness would allow a sandstorm to happen. Because the plague of locusts, they would come in, they'd cover the land, they would eat everything, and there'd be nothing to keep the sand down. And then as the winds blow in, the sand would just explode off the ground and would literally cover Egypt in darkness. I think that underestimates the hand of God. I think it completely misses what's going on here. These were not ten natural occurrences that just built on each other, one after the other, that you could attribute to God. And oftentimes in our lives, we kind of do that, don't we? We look at things that God is doing, but we give them natural uh, focus. We say, well, but no, that just happened because of this. That just happened. That's just coincidence. You know, there are natural causes for what's going on in my life. Mary Ann came up and was talking to me this morning. And she burned her hand last, I guess it was Saturday night. Burned it badly. Went to the emergency room. They, they pasted the, the silver stuff, you know, they put on the hand. And the doctor said, this is at least second degree burns. You're going to have blistering. You're going to have some, some scarring probably from this. And she came up this morning and she's showing me her hand. And it is completely healed. I mean, there's nothing. This was the day after she took the bandages off because it was feeling pretty good. She takes off the bandages and looks completely normal, precious, soft, pink skin. Well, that silver oxide stuff is pretty powerful, isn't it? Or was it maybe that God decided this hand was important? This hand needed healing. This was not a natural occurrence. These plagues, folks, are not natural. They are supernatural. And this darkness was thick. A couple of reasons why I don't think that this was just a massive sandstorm. Number one, Moses' action is heavenward. What does the Lord tell him to do? Stretch out your hand toward the sky. This was a heavenward action and a heavenward plague that comes down. Now you might say, well, maybe we're talking about an eclipse. Maybe there's just a total eclipse of the sun and that's why there was darkness. Yeah, for three days? Does that make any sense? Furthermore, the Egyptians could not hold a candle to this plague. Literally, there was no light in the homes of the Egyptians. This wasn't something where you could shut up the doors, shut up the windows. Yes, it's pitch black outside, but light a candle, man, and we'll get through. There was no light. They were paralyzed. People not even rising out of their beds because it was such a thick, black darkness. Read on. Verse 22 says, Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. That word thick darkness there, that phrase, means a heavy gloom. A depression. All of Egypt, this entire fantastic, powerful, lordly country, was depressed. Weighed down in this black darkness. And verse 23 tells us they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. They were paralyzed, folks. Physically. Spiritually. Emotionally. Spiritually? Absolutely. Because this plague blew the Egyptian god Amun-Ra right out of the sky. Amun-Ra, the highest god of all Egypt, is now touched by the plagues. Amun-Ra, he is the sun god, according to the Egyptians. And he was the one that they worshipped the most, the one who could bring heat, the one who brought light. In fact, Pharaoh's name is derived from Amun-Ra. Pharaoh comes from Ra, and Pharaoh was considered the son of Ra, or the son of the sun god. But as Egypt is plunged into a thick darkness so deep that the people could literally reach out and touch it, the power of Ra was doused. Egypt's greatest god was put out. 
Because Ra is not the source of light, is he? Elohim is the source of light. Jehovah is where light comes from. People have argued and discussed this verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And people say, so is that when time started, or did it start when, when God created the sun and the moon? For you see, there was light before the sun. God said, let there be light, and there was It exploded onto the scene, and for the beginning half of creation, the only light was God's light. The light of the Father Himself. But Egypt finds itself covered in thick darkness for three days, all because of the hardness of one man's heart. It's amazing how one man's feelings, one man's actions, one man's heart could affect so many others. And I I come to think, as I read through these plagues and look at what's going on, I keep asking the question, how did Pharaoh's heart get so hard? Even his pagan priests at this point were broken. Even they were saying, this is God. This is God. This is a fly. (laughs) Plague of the flies! How does a man's heart get so hard? And how do our hearts harden up? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John wrote this, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Not a crevice, not a crack, not a, not a slight little corner of darkness, not a shadow, not with the Father. No, God is light. And let me say this, there's only one reason why there is any good, any light, any blessing at all in the world today, and that's because God is present. God is present, but there's murder and war. And there's rape and there's hatred. How could God be present? I'm telling you, the only reason there's any good in this world is because God still has a hand in it. God still is in control. He still is in charge. He still is Lord over all things. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Do you realize the significance of this truth? This means that it's not just God's light shining in all of the churches scattered across northern Washington this morning. But even for those not in worship this morning, God is light. For the man out on his boat, God is light. For the husband and wife out for a drive this morning, God is light. There is light and goodness in this world because God is light. And even people who have rejected God outright benefit from that light today. Up to this point in Egypt's difficult dealings with the one true God, the reality is that although the plagues were bad, the people still benefited from God's presence even though they didn't believe in Him until darkness came. There's something our world completely misses about God, doesn't understand about God. In fact, as I was driving here this morning, I was just thinking it is stunning how many people choose not to believe in God. Choose to reject Him. When the truth is that they still live under His blessing, Christian or not, all people alive in the world today live under the blessing of God's existence. They live under His light. If any good thing happens, it's because of the Lord in this world. All people are graced to have life at all. Now, we read this verse and use the last half of it quite a bit, Matthew 5.45, where it tells us that God sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And we go, oh yeah, good people and bad people get rained on, so, you know, even if I'm good, I'm still going to have hard times. Listen to the first part of the verse. Jesus says, He causes His Son to rise 
on the evil and the good. So not only do good people also go through bad things with bad people, but bad people get good things along with good people. Bad people, murderers, thieves, slanderers, gossips, bad people, you, me, (laughs) all people still experience the blessing of God's life. Everybody benefits. In fact, right now, if Jesus wasn't involved in this world, we would blow apart. We, wouldn't, we would not be able to exist. Colossians 1.16 tells us, By Him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Now listen to this. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. If Jesus were to take his eye off of this world, his hand off of this world, we would blow apart because it's because of him that this world holds together at all. In the same way, it was because of God's very presence over this world that Egypt had any light, but God withdraws that presence, and for three days they are plunged into darkness. What does that have to do with Pharaoh's hard heart? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 again says, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. But John goes on to say, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I know God. I worship God. I believe in Him. But if we say those things but walk in the darkness, we lie. We lie. We do not practice the truth. Listen, the only way to develop a heart of darkness is to harden your heart to the presence, the presence of God who is light. For if we in our lives will focus on the presence of God, will look to God, will run to the Lord, then hardened hearts are not an issue. Hardening of the heart happens as we withdraw from God's presence into the shadows and into darkness. Look at verse 20 of Exodus chapter 10. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Now this is important, and we've talked a little bit about this. I want to make sure everybody hears and understands this. Before this plague of darkness hit, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but you may notice at this point, not by himself. It doesn't say that Pharaoh hardened his heart and did not let the sons of Israel go. It says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you need to understand in this process of God hardening versus Pharaoh hardening that there are 14 times that we read that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. The first seven times tells us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. The last seven times tells us that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. But this is something that you may not all have heard. We talked about it on Wednesday night a couple weeks back. The first word that's used when Pharaoh hardens his own heart is the Hebrew word kabed. And kabed means literally to harden. So the first seven times, Pharaoh just says, I'm going to harden my heart. He makes a choice. He hardens it to the Lord. The last seven times, the word changes. Every time the Bible says God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it is the word kazak, which means to fortify or to strengthen a resolve. In other words, what God does is come along and after seven hardenings of Pharaoh, he says, do you want your heart to be hardened? That's clear. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you in that decision. You've decided you want to be hard against me. You've decided you want to live in the darkness. Therefore, I will fortify your resolve, Pharaoh. I will strengthen your heart to do what you want to do. All God's doing here is simply supporting that which Pharaoh had determined for himself. 
And he will do that with you and with me. What do you mean? I mean, if you choose to harden your heart against the Father, ultimately he will fortify that choice. But the good news is, if you choose to soften your heart to the Father, he will fortify that choice as well. He will give you the strength to stay focused on him. He'll give you that support that you need. But he says to Pharaoh, you want to be in rebellion? You want to walk in darkness? Okay, I'll strengthen your resolve. I'll fortify your rebellion. Which is why the Bible says the following. Psalm 95, verse 7. He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. We talked about that last week. Let today be the day. If you hear His voice today, don't harden your heart. Listen to Him. Respond to Him. Walk with Him. But Pharaoh had hardened his heart so many times he could no longer hear the voice of the Lord at all. And so you wonder, well, is there a point of no return? Is there a place in a person's life where they can harden their heart so hard they literally cannot hear Jesus' voice? This last week we saw an interesting historical event take place. Yasser Arafat died. Yasser Arafat, the leader, the founder of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the leader of the Palestinian Authority, a known terrorist, a terrorist for his whole life. In fact, Yasser Arafat's biggest problem is that he could never quite become a statesman because he continued to sponsor terror. And that's who and what he was, folks. A terrorist. Whether France thinks so or not. Yasser Arafat was a terrorist. For 40 years he embodied terror in the Middle East. Israeli intelligence has reams of paperwork showing homicide attacks ordered by Arafat, payoffs to families of homicide bombers signed by Arafat, and he wanted it both ways, to be this this freedom fighter while taking the lives of innocent children, women, men on buses heading to work. And he's dead this week. It's rumored that he may even have died of AIDS. Interesting. He was well known, folks, in English to speak in support of a Palestinian state neighboring an Israeli state. And at the same time to speak in Arabic of driving Israel into the sea. He has on his office wall, still there as a matter of fact, unless they've taken it down, a map of his dream for Palestine and Israel does not exist. Because his heart was always no Israel driving out the Jewish people. Yasser Arafat It's a man of a very hard heart It was interesting last year when The Passion of the Christ came out It was said that he went to see that movie Yasser Arafat saw The Passion And wept openly And was deeply moved By this action of Jesus in the crucifixion Did it make any difference at all? I don't think it did Because there is a place where we can get where the heart is so hard, it cannot be softened again. But that's just politics, Rick. Right? Wrong. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Deuteronomy 32, verse 43 tells us, Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. And he's speaking about Israel here. And he will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. It is an eternally dangerous thing to go head to head with Israel. 
Israel to be an enemy of Israel. Is there a point of no return? Yes. We've seen it in Arafat's life. We've seen it in Pharaoh's life. We've seen it in Nero's life, the Hitlers of this world. We've seen it in these lives, people who get to a point where they stand so steadfast against God, they have hardened their hearts so hard that God says, all right, I'll fortify that decision. But for all this this morning, I want you to understand something. And it's just a one, one fill-in for the day, one note to write down that I think is so vitally important to our understanding of this plague, but also this scripture. And that's the following. Darkness is not the opposite of light. It is the absence of light. It's not the opposite of light. It's the absence of light. And we could do a little uh, you know, scientific experiment here by turning off the light, and suddenly the darkness comes from everywhere. But the moment you bring on the light, darkness flees. Light has a power over darkness. And we all know and understand that. It's not that darkness envelops the light and pushes it away. It's that any time the light comes on, darkness flees. But if we want to be in darkness, then we walk away from the light. We become absent from the light. You never bring darkness into a room. You bring light. And darkness always flees from light and does not overcome it. John chapter 1 verse 5 told us the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. Now I say this because even in our country today there is a philosophy, kind of the Star Wars philosophy that is absolutely heresy. This yin-yang philosophy of the world. That there's light and there's dark. And the two have to kind of balance each other out. That if you watch the Star Wars trilogy, or or now, what, five movies now, coming up on number six. And if you watch that, George Lucas' vision of the way things are is a force that is balanced by evil and good. Not where evil reigns, but where there is balance. This character, Darth Vader, is supposed to be one who brings equality to the Force. Brings balance back to the Force. So that you have the dark and the light balancing each other. That is not how it works. Again, 1 John 1 tells us God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. Everything is measured against that standard. Do you understand that? Everything is measured against the standard of God's light. Satan is not the opposite power of God. Satan is just about as far away from God as you can get. And we are somewhere in between. And we are either headed in the direction of the Father and His perfect light, or we are heading in in the direction of the shadows or where Satan is. But it's not that Satan is this anti-power. That he's got this this ability that is as strong as God's and and that you are going to battle it out and we'll just see who wins. God has already won. God is the perfect light. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things are in those who are close to the light, close to the heart of the Father. Darkness, hatred, bitterness, evil. These things increase as we draw away from the Father. In the distance we are from God. The Bible characterizes a hard-hearted heart, not as opposites to the light, but as those who are, listen to this, devoid of the Spirit. That's how a heart gets hard. Listen, Jude verse 17. You, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. You want to know how to have a hard heart? I'll tell you this morning. All you need is to be devoid of the Spirit. To cast out the Holy Spirit of God. To reject God's Spirit, which by the way, Jesus says, is the one unforgivable sin. Why is it unforgivable? Because without the Spirit, you cannot enter into the light of God. Without His Spirit in you, once we reject outright His Spirit and say we will have nothing to do with His Spirit, salvation is lost. There is danger in hardening a heart. Because when God removes His presence, or when I reject His presence, things go dark. Now that's the bad news. But there's good news. Look at verse 23, Exodus chapter 10. Well, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. I like that. I like how that sounds. All the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Many scholars believe that this light was literally the Shekinah glory of God. That great cloud-like glory that would lead them out of Egypt. You know, during the day they would have the great cloud and at night the, the great fire that led them forward. The Shekinah of God. It was the same glory that one day when Solomon finished building the temple and it was dedicated to the Lord, this fantastic, awesome Shekinah glory entered the temple. It was so thick and powerful and amazing that no one could even get in to the temple at first. As God spread out His Shekinah glory. It's the same glory, by the way, that in the time of the prophet Ezekiel departed from the temple. Left the temple in a tragic scene. Pulled back from the Holy of Holies. And slowly moved on out of the temple completely. Ironically, Israel lost the Shekinah glory of God because their hearts became hard. And devoid of the Spirit. But check this out. There's a promise of God's light returning to Israel again. Isaiah chapter 60 says, Arise, shine for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And Isaiah is prophesying that to Israel. A time yet coming for them. And you may say, well, great, Rick, another Israel lesson. And that's all well and good for the Israelites and for the Israelis. Wonderful for the Jew. But what was that part about the deep darkness covering the earth? Did you hear that? Isaiah chapter 60 verse 2 said, Behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. The Lord's going to rise on you, Israel. But there are dark days ahead for this world. But right now, gang, even in dark times, the world experiences God's light, as we have said. But the Bible tells us that when God pulls out His church, at that point He is going to pull out His Spirit as well, and the world will know what darkness really is. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Let me repeat that. You, brethren, are not in darkness. Christians, hear this one more time. You are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. According to Paul, there should not be a single Christian on planet earth when Jesus calls us home who goes, Whoa, didn't expect that to happen. You're not in darkness. You are children of light, Paul says. He says that in that day, you are all sons of light, you're sons of day, and we are not of night or of darkness. We have eyes that are open. When you come to Jesus and when His Spirit comes into you, you are opened up. You see things you never saw before. You understand the world in a way you never did before. And I can only say that this is true because I have experienced it in my life. I know the difference between walking in darkness and walking in the light. And I much prefer the light. Because I can see. And I have a sense of what God is doing. Let me ask you this morning. Is there light in your dwelling? Is there light in your home? The Israelites, man, they sat there in Goshen and for three days, it was fine. They could see. They were beginning at this point, I believe, to understand what the Lord was doing. The Egyptians were plunged into despair and depression and darkness unlike anything they had ever experienced. Even the most outgoing guy in Egypt was bummed out for three days. But not Israel. They had light. Light was in their dwellings. How about you? Is there light in your marriage? Is there light in your family? Is there light in your walk with Christ? Psalm 18.28 tells us, You light my lamp. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. John 8.12 says, I am the light of the world, Jesus speaking. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And we recognize that light, but here's the question. Again, for Christians, do you choose to walk in it? Remember, he who is walking in the light has fellowship with other believers, also with the Father. If you walk in the light... 1 John 1.6 If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. I'm going to close here in just a sec, but I want to say this to you. Christianity is not some esoteric, mysterious, vague philosophy. It's not one of a million different choices in the world where you can say, I kind of like how that feels, so I'm going to pick that. Christianity is not supposed to be a mystery. It is practical. It is day by day. It is about real life. Now I say that because as a pastor I have people come to me from time to time and they'll ask about different things. A struggle here, a difficulty with a child, with a spouse, not sure sure how to to deal. And what's funny to me is I'm not a brilliant guy, folks. And if you call me up and say, hey, we got a problem going on, I'm just going to tell you something that you already know. And that's the deal. With, with any kind of counseling that I've done over the ser- last several years, is it's always telling people what they already know. And then they walk away going, wow, that, that was great. It was such great wisdom. And I think, but you already knew that. All we really need from time to time is to be reminded by each other to walk in the light. If we choose to walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. Which means our marriages are better because we're walking in the light. 
Which means our love for our children is better because we're walking in the light. It means our relationships are better. It means our world is clearer. It means that even in difficult times, we understand things better because we're walking in the light. Do you want to walk in the light or not? Jesus said it very clearly. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness. How simple is that? This is not some tricky thing that you've got to experience or figure out. This is God saying, I am light. Walk with me. And you will be a son, a daughter of light. I guess what I'm saying in essence is, do what you know, and you'll know what to do. Do what you know in the Lord, and you will know what to do. And if this morning you are outside of that, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe Christianity is something you've looked at, you know obviously that a lot of them voted a couple weeks back, You're wondering, what is it with these people? Let me be the first to tell you it's nothing with these people. It is something from the Lord, the creator of this universe. And His Son, Jesus, who died for you because He loves you and doesn't want you walking in the dark. God doesn't want to keep His people in the dark. He wants light in our dwellings. I'm going to read a verse to you. We'll finish with this. It's Ephesians chapter 1. And I'd like to read it as a prayer, so I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and focus on the Lord for a few moments this morning. And I'll read this as Paul wrote it, and I believe intended it as a prayer for the Ephesian people, so this is my prayer for you this morning. I believe the Lord's prayer for us today. With your heads bowed, the question is, do you want to walk in the light? Do you want to live in the presence of God? It's not something your pastor can do, a friend, a family member. It's a choice you make. And once you make that choice, Jesus says you will not walk in darkness. Father, we come before you today seeking your light. Not wanting to walk in confusion or despair. Lord, I know there are some here this morning who are struggling with depression. And I pray that you will bring your light into their lives. I know, Father, there are some who are struggling with great doubt. And I pray that you would pour out your light over their lives. I know there are some that, Lord, have been hurt recently by painful experiences, loss of those they love, struggles in in family, in the workplace. And I pray that you would shine the light of your glory into their lives so they might have perspective and understanding and insight and peace. And I pray that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened. Father, I pray you will give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And Father, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ. Father, when You seated Jesus, raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at Your right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, Lord, we know that You put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet, 
and gave him as head over all things to the church that's us Lord which is your body the fullness of you who fills all in all enlighten us Father this morning 